love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Uh, Alyssa, we are pre-recording this episode because it is race week for both of us. And when this airs, you will actually be racing in Scotland in an adventure race. Is that, that's right. I saw the timeline. It's a five-day race, right? So you'll still be racing on Thursday. Oh yeah. Yep. If, I mean, assuming things are going well, we'll still be racing on Thursday, actually probably at the trouser filler stage of the race sometime on Thursday, which if you want to hear more about that, make sure you listen to last week's episode where I explain exactly what that is, but yeah, I will be, I'm sure sleep deprived, probably having, you know, thinking anything is funny at that point in the race, because what else is there to do when you're, you haven't slept for much for three days or four days, but Um, yep. I will be somewhere in Scotland, unclear of where hopefully having the time of my life. And you are going to be on the East coast in Mont Tremblant having some poutine. Yes. My pre-race poutine secret (laughs) weapon I've heard for racing in Canada. Um, yeah, I will be in Canada getting ready to raise Ironman Mont Tremblant on Sunday. So race week for me as well. I'll be probably getting inspired by your full trousers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was a I hope you don't have trouser filling during I the Iron Man. Yeah, there is no <laughs> trouser filling station in my Iron Man um in my race, but um I am a, I am interested in next week's uh, episode hearing all about your your adventure, my adventure and um but it's a big week for racing and because this is also the week of the Collins Cup, which is like the showcase of triathlon. Um, I got to witness it in person last year, and I'm excited to kind of watch it as my pre-race uh, pump up for this year. Yeah. So logistically for everyone listening, um, Thursday, if you're listening today, the day that this podcast drops, um, turn on your TV or turn on your computer and then... <laughs> Chromecast your TV or however you do it, um, because you might be able to catch the opening ceremony where they name the matchups, which is actually a really fun thing to watch. Um, so the, that happens at 6 PM Europe central time, which is noon on the East coast, 10 AM mountain, 9 AM Pacific time. And then, uh, so that's Thursday when we'll get some more details about who's racing, who, And then on Saturday is the actual racing. The pro race starts at 1230 Central Europe time, which is 630 Eastern. If Haley was in Montana, which she won't be, it would be 430. So luckily she'll be able to probably catch a good bit of the racing in between her pre-race prep on Saturday and get, get a little pumped up. Yeah, that is kind of nice. Like maybe if, uh, yeah, I can like, cause the race goes on for quite a bit cause for, for people who aren't familiar with the Collins Cup, it is it is a showcase of the top ranked uh, triathletes from Europe, the U.S., and an international team. And so, and it is like head-to-head matchups. So there's only three people in each race. You'll have um, one person from Europe, one person from the U.S., and one person from international. And as Alyssa, Alyssa mentioned, the opening ceremonies on Thursday, that is when they announce who is racing whom. And it's so exciting. Like I was like, 
I was just in the audience last year and it was so well done. Um, these announcements and like head to head matches and just the, the captains of the, each team are legends of the sport. I think the U S captain this year is Julie Moss, who you just talked to for the title nine podcast and Dave Scott. And so, so we have like the four top ranked from each geographical division were automatic qualifiers. And then the captains got to pick two men and two women who are like the captain's picks. And so um, we are us, I guess, based, uh, podcasts of like team us for the women, Taylor nib, sky Monch, Chelsea Sidero, Jackie Herring were the, uh, automatic qualifiers. And then Sophie Watts and Sarah true from the, if we were writing podcast were the captain's picks. So strong team from, from team us, but, um, you know, do, do you know who's on team international? We have a lot of, we're, we're Canadian based as well. We're North American based and Canada would be in team international. Uh, have you checked out that list, Alyssa? Who's the woman? I have. So I have, let's see, we have Paula Finley, Ashley Gentle, Tamara Jewett and Ellie Salthouse. Um, and the captain's picks there. You just told me who they were. So not up on the website yet. And let me see, they are, you literally told me 10 minutes ago. This is like a good brain test for me. They are, help me out. Gold medalist. <laughs> this should be helpful. <laughs> Who won the gold medal in Tokyo? <laughs> Flora Duffy. Oh yeah, yeah, Flora. Okay, yeah, Flora Duffy. And I was like, I, for some reason you said that and I'm like thinking of Nicola. And so like, I was like that, I knew my brain, my brain knew that wasn't actually right. But then yeah, complete blankness, you guys. This is what happens when you run too People. much adventure oh, yeah <laughs> um and then there's one more and who's the other victoria one? victoria lopez from oh, yeah. uh brazil okay. yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean very yeah <laughs> great great uh team international and as you mentioned that yeah flora's not the only gold medalist who is uh raising the collins cup because nicholas spirig was one of the captain's picks for team europe nicholas spirig and holly lawrence were the two captain's picks and then the automatics, Daniela Reef, Annie Haug, Laura Phillip, Kat Matthews. <laughs> team Europe is the defending champions. Last year, US was the runner-ups and the team international won the broken spoke, which was like the trophy for third place. But um, it's, I mean, it's pretty wild racing because they get, it's all by points, right? So you get a certain number of points for winning, but then you also get more points if you win by a larger margin. And so even if you are in second or third, like you're trying to like manage that gap and keep it as close as possible so that, that, you know, the point differential isn't quite as much. And I do, I think last year, you know, a lot of people counted out team USA and then they actually rose to the occasion. It was, it was really inspiring me for, for me to watch. And, um, in person, I loved, I mean, that the X bionic sphere in, uh, Shamarin, Slovakia is like a really good race location. And it was just so, so well done. And it was fun and it inspired me. So I had a great race the next day. Cause last year I was a, I was an alternate. I was there as a reserve in case someone got nervous and didn't want to race at all. Or they got hurt. They, they got, got their COVID. trousers filled. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, you had some, me to a good race. But anyway, go do ahead. you, do you have some picks? Like who do you want to see get matched up and, I know. Get, and race against? I know. So we are recording this before they announce the picks. And that's like, again, really fun part because any of these matchups would be so incredible. And we were talking about a few, I mean, if I could pick like, just one matchup I think would be interesting. Um, I think from Team Europe, I'd like to see Kat Matthews second at the uh world championships in St. George. She just won the sub eight project. And 
I'd like to see her go against Taylor Nib. So last year, Taylor Nib was very much a wild card. And then she crushed everyone, right? Like everyone had the fastest time out of everyone. It was just like, whoa. And we haven't seen her, I guess she raced Oceanside in March. We haven't seen her race any longer races since then. So you know, we don't know exactly what kind of form she's in, but last year it was really good. So I think that could be kind of interesting. And then I think throwing in uh, Ashley Gentle or not Ashley Gentle. Sorry, I was looking at the list. Flora Duffy. I mean, Ashley Gentle would be great too, but I think Flora Duffy, again, another one who we've seen Flora try to race some 70.3s this year. She tried to race in Chattanooga, got COVID, tried to race in Tremblant. Her bike never showed up. So she's very much an unknown of a slightly longer distance. And the Collins cup isn't, isn't quite a 70.3 distance. It's a hundred kilometers total two K swim, 80 K bike, 18 K run. So slightly longer swim than a 70.3 slightly shorter run. Um, and so it's definitely, it's an interesting distance. And I just think having, you know, gold medalist and these two IT races racers against cat, who's just on fire at, right now, I think would be interesting and fun. So do you want to hear my matchups, Haley? Yes, I do. My dream matchup would be to see from Team Europe, also Kat Matthews, from Team USA, also Taylor Nib. But I would love to see from Team International, Paula Finley be the third in that trio because I was listening to that, that triathlon life podcast um, while I was out on my bike this past weekend. And this is now going to become like total gossip because it's like through that it's like a game of telephone as now I'm repeating what they said. And I'm sure disclaimer, I'm sure I'm remembering something of it wrong, but the gist of what I think I heard was that, um, Eric and Paula heard Kat's partner talking about Paula and her abilities on a podcast. And I guess Kat's partner said something along the lines of it was just a Canadian like how good could the Canadian world championship field work? Cause Paula won the Canadian, Canadian national, not world champion, Canadian national championships for the time trial. Right. Yeah. So I guess Kat's partner was talking a little smack and said like, you know, something along the lines of like, how good could the field have been? Right. So I think that, uh, put a little fire under, you know, Paula. Ooh. And I think I would be excited to see that matchup and we can, we can find out, we can just, you know, find out. So I think that's a, a good thing to watch out for. I mean, I think it would be very interesting because, uh, you know, Kat isn't as well known for her swim. And like, I just, now that I'm like thinking about this and writing it all out, I mean, so slightly longer swim, slightly shorter run, which I mean, I know Paula has, Paula's an incredible runner as well, but she has dealt with some injuries. And I think last year for the Collins cup, she was not at 100%. And so that's probably might also be why people count her out a little bit. I know in the at the airport on the way home, she was like in a wheelchair. And so I think that if we had a fully healthy Paula Finley, oh, yeah, that could be, okay. That'd be really good. Okay. Maybe I switched to yours. Can I switch to your picks? No. Um, other, so other let me really... say, hopefully that word gets like passed around and gets to the, um, folks who are making the picks. Cause I feel like they do love to set up like, you know, the contra the not controversial, but they love the rivalries like that. So I think oh, yes. if they well, get, uh, sniff that one out, I think it'll happen, but someone just, another one... someone listens to that podcast too. <laughs> I want to pick another one. Another one, I think is along those lines, Laura Phillip, Chelsea Sidero just had that incredible finish at that PTO open in Canada, Chelsea, you know, out basically out kicked out sprinted Laura Phillip at the finish line and Laura Phillips had an incredible year. And so I do think again, that would be a really, really interesting one. And then, yeah, maybe we should throw Tamara Jewett into that one with like, just 
insanely fast runners. Like, <laughs> um, it would, I don't know. There's, there's no like bad matchup. I just think it's very, very exciting. Like it's, but that's what makes the Collins cup so much fun to watch. And the nice thing is it's like, okay, yes, it starts fairly early for us in the U S six 30 AM, but, uh, it goes for like several hours. Cause there's like, you know, six individual races that happen 10 minutes apart for the women and then the men start. So then you get a little break and then you get the men. And so you get to like follow all these individual races. And this year they have the PTO plus app which I think that's where the broadcast will be is on that PTO plus app. I have had, I, for Canada, I did download the PTO plus app and the PTO tracker, like two separate apps. So then I could like watch the broadcast and like check the tracker and get splits. So if you're into, into that, (laughs) you can, uh, you can do two apps. I mean, technology, what we can do is amazing. So everyone's plate is totally full now with, you can all post a link to tracking in Scotland. If you want to pretend to understand how that that even works you can take a look at that then after that you will have the Collins Cup to watch then after that you will have the Iron Tracker with Haley Chura racing and so maybe on Facebook I'm not sure yeah yeah, yeah. I hope it's happening I I I should have double checked that one but um yeah I'll post on social media maybe I'll be on there otherwise yeah Iron Tracker you can at least track me (laughs) make sure uh yeah that hopefully I know I'm like we talked so much last week we talked about what would happen if our gear got swapped and how (laughs) terrible that'd be and now I like I I will admit I did I did book my flights like the most like the most convenient one was like air Canada. And I was like, Oh no, not doing it. Cause floors yeah. didn't make it. And I was I like, know. and so many people's didn't make it. And I was like, I'll pay a little extra and like, you know, pray a little extra and like, hopefully my bike makes it. <laughs> no, I know fingers are crossed on all of the travel. There's a, a lot of moving pieces these days to make sure, uh, we get to our races and can even get to the start line. So hopefully that happens. And Haley, we have a mailbag question actually this week. We're, oh, we're moving right. on to the mailbag. And before I forget about it again, and people can always send in mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this mailbag question comes in from Christina and great question. She's wondering if there is any tips or tricks that we have to increase the life of a bike short chamois because she's already not using a dryer, but do we have any tips and tricks? And this one was kind of a stumper for us. I have to say. I mean, I think I, I am lucky at this point in my career that I have a good stable of like really nice bike shorts. And so they're like higher quality. Yes, they are more expensive. Um, I am sponsored by smash Fest queen. And so that does definitely help, but they do seem to last pretty long. I do. I do try to air dry them. And I do also use, um, Zelios betwixt chamois cream, which is a past podcast sponsor, um, which is a, it's not quite as viscous as, as other chamois creams that I've used in the past, but it does wash out really well. I think it's water-based and not oil-based. And so I think that that's a little bit better for the material. So I don't, maybe that helps. Do you have tips? Mm, those would be my same things. And then maybe like, I always look at the setting on the washing machine that has like high spin, low spin, double spin or something like that. So maybe if your washer has something like that, maybe don't spin it quite as fast. Like I can't imagine the fastest spin is like great for that kind of material. So maybe, yeah, like gentle cycles of washing and things like that would be good. Um, but definitely don't use the dryer. That's like the main key. Um, and then I agree. I'm obviously sponsored by smash fest queen as well. And those, you know, I've had kits for seasons and seasons that still seem to be making it. So I do think that if you buy or invest in, you can think of it as investing in a quality 
um, you know, a couple bibs or bike shorts, then they do tend to last a bit longer. Yeah. But thank you for the question. And if anyone else has questions, you can write into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer them in a future episode. Haley, are we ready for our interview for the week? Yeah. Yes. This is a fun one. Very high energy. Yes. So we were very excited to talk to Kate Verano this week. And I first heard from Kate, she was going into, um, well, I, I'm already setting this up wrong. So Kate is the head of content and women's strategy at Zwift. And I first heard her talk about, um, all of this. And most importantly, the tour de France femmes at, um, on the burn it all down podcast. So if you don't listen to the burn it all down podcast, it's a feminist sports podcast. It's very good. I really enjoy it. Um, I think that listen with Kate, her episode on there is really great. It kind of sets up like the pre tour de France femmes, um, stage and you get to learn a little bit about Kate. We don't ask her too many double questions. So I think it's still, you know, good to add to your training playlist for the weekend. Um, Kate, was a professional cyclist herself. And then she joined Zwift in 2016. And so we get to talk to her kind of about that whole evolution of women's sports, like what's been going on in Zwift, how they approach women in sport, all of that. And like, it all culminated this year in one of the most epic years ever for women's cycling, um, at the Tour de France Femmes where she was there and she tells us about the experience. We talk about some of those fun moments, uh, really fun conversation. I think we all had goosebumps, like thinking about some of the epic stages and stuff like that, well, but I have one other th- one. I just want to interject real quick though. Alyssa, if any of our listeners, cause I know we have some listeners who aren't necessarily all triathletes. What is Zwift? Oh yeah. Okay. So Zwift is, I should probably, well, I'll just explain it. It's a, <laughs> you should maybe look it up just to get the official definition, but it's like an online cycling platform where you can ride virtually with others all around the world at any time. And it has everything from like open rides. You can just go on and like start cycling in a world to racing. I've talked about the Zwift racing league that I do sometimes (laughs) when I'm in cycling shape. Um, you know, on there. So they all sorts of options, but like you're pedaling your bike at home on the trainer, um, or wherever your trainer bike is, I guess. And it's like connected into the Zwift world to virtually ride with other people. It's pretty cool. It's like a video like game. A video for game. Bikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that was my Kate. Hopefully that, uh, that isn't, um, the wrong. I think you did great. You okay. did great. <laughs> um, but again, really fun conversation with Kate got me super pumped for women's cycling for all of the women's sports things going on this year. It's just making me really happy about kind of the state of things that we are in right now. And I hope it gets everyone else excited too. So we'll hear from Kate next. Hi, Kate. Welcome to iron women. Hello. Thanks for having me. So I think this might be like your first day, even back in the office since returning from the Tour de France Femme. So first, thanks for taking time out of this, I'm sure, hectic day to chat with us. Um, And we do, we want to chat with you about all of the things. Um, But first, let's get like the quick version of your background. We know you played D1 basketball for Brown University. How did that end up navigating you into a five-year career as a pro cyclist eventually? How did you end up on a bike? Yeah, you know, it came from uh, knee injuries, which I hear a lot in the endurance sport world. I had uh, like three different scopes on my knee, you know, from like cartilage tears, and I could no longer really run. 
And that was really my um, main, you know, uh, way to exercise after my basketball career. So I ended up getting on a bike. I always had a bike, uh, always got around on a bike, went to class on a bike, you know, use it for kind of fun and just getting around commuting. But um, I met my uh, future husband in Providence, Rhode Island, you know, uh, where we both went to school and we got on bikes together. He was kind of a skateboarder. I was a basketball player. And somehow we ended up on fixie bikes. And one thing led to the next thing. I think he got sick of me racing him up every climb and encouraged me to race. And next thing you know, I just found like the most perfect outlet for my competitive side. And that was bike racing. And I, I really didn't even know women race bikes. Um, I went to, I got invited to watch the Philly bike race, which was a huge race. And uh, I was on the Maniunk wall watching the race, uh, which is a famous, super steep, short climb in a, you know, one of the biggest races in the country. And I saw this giant pack of men go by and I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like Mark Cavendish was in the group. It was huge. And then like 10 minutes later, a pack of women went by and I was like, oh my God, women race bikes. Like, how did I not know this? So that just started... You know, I think the that Philly bike race was when I'm sorry down. to interrupt, but I think the Philly bike race was like my introduction to yes. the fact that people like women, you know, race by and just seeing even to be honest, seeing the men race bikes was like one yeah. of the first. And it I remember because I had I was in Maniunk as well, actually, right in that section. Um, yeah. just visiting friends in Philly. And it was like, yeah, it was accessible. It's the whole was- city shuts down. It actually was, um, originally it was like the national championship. This is a huge race. It's no longer exists, which is really sad, but it was a real beacon of the, um, U S professional bike racing scene. And I, you know, going to that race, I just assumed all bike races were like that. Uh, <laughs> not quite, um, the crowds and like the energy, the whole city shutting down. It was a really special event. Oh, what year was this? Wait, were you two at the same race? It was probably, I I was visiting for, I was probably a senior in high school and I was visiting some friends that had graduated and were at St. Joe's university in Philly. And so it had to have been, when did I graduate? Kaylee, when would we have graduated? 2002, I guess. Three. I graduated. Yes. So, well, me too, but then it must've been, I think it was like the, so yeah, probably either if it was a spring race, the spring of 2003 then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mine was a few, probably five years later. It was probably 2007, 2008 when I first saw it. And then like three years later, I was racing that race. And that was, you know, incredible. It was a UCI race. It was a world uh, tour level race, or that world tour, uh, UCI world uh, level race, uh, which is like the highest classification in the US uh, that you'd ever see. And it was, it was a ton of fun. You missed each other, but Kate, I'm curious, you're racing pro around 2010. What was the vibe like back then for women cycling? Yeah, um, it was, especially in the US side, it was, it was dwindling a bit, honestly. Um, there weren't a ton of teams. Uh, the, the support was minimal. Uh, you were happy to get a bike and and your travel paid for and, you know, win a little bit of prize money, but there wasn't really big salaries or anything like that. There was no minimum requirements. So you did it out of love and you had to have some sort of support structure in place. There was very few teams that were actually getting over to Europe at all, where like, you know, where you have the real opportunities to get on the world tour. Um, you know, uh, it just, it was, it was a really fun, you know, scene in terms of the racing there, there was some really great stage races, but just not a lot. It was hard to do really hard to do. Wow. And so that's only, you know, 10, 12 years ago and the momentum, you know, downward trajectory and 
uh, we did just, we listened to you on the burn it all down podcast and you talked about kind of now in your current role and the role of Zwift is to create this upward trajectory to change things for women's sports. And we're seeing that happen. Um, you know, how did that, how did that change happen? Was it just people like you going from one side, you know, from the cycling, being the cyclist to working, is that like, has that been part of it? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's approaching things a little bit differently and trying to recognize where we can create new opportunities in the sport. Um, it started with me at, uh, at Zwift with Zwift Academy. So this was 2016 and uh, I had I had met some of the people at Zwift. I knew that this product was going on, it, you know, kind of a new new player on the bike scene. And uh, one of my friends that was working there reached out to me and he said, hey, we've got this program we're going to launch. Uh, we're going to host a global talent ID competition on our virtual platform in this cycling video game to win a pro contract with like a professional team, like a top tier professional team, Canyon SRAM Racing, who when they emerged on the scene, I think in 2015, they were like all the flash. I mean, they looked world tour, beautiful, like kits and bikes and sponsors look so pro. And we, uh, Zwift was going to partner with them to host a competition on the platform to win a pro contract. That was absolutely unheard of. Uh, this was based on um, a program called GT Academy, which was um, for car drivers, um, where you competed in a video game to win a real world opportunity, you know, real life opportunity to race professionally uh, car, car driving. So uh, it was a wild concept. We had like a thousand women compete that first year and one woman eventually won the contract. I ran the whole program. And it was so cool to see us use this new technology, use this, you know, a, a new way of thinking to uh, create an opportunity for anybody in the world to basically try out for a pro team. Um, and that just kind of got us in the mode of, of, of thinking about how we could create more opportunities through our platform, how the sport could evolve, um, you know, and, and just, you know, just thinking differently. That's so interesting. I was based on like a car driving kind of yeah. model. So I'm trying to like rack my brain to think of what other sports or like activities could also use a model like that because in my yeah. head, you know, driving a car virtually is much different than like racing the car in the real world. But people probably would say that who haven't been on Zwift and like ride bikes and things like that. So yeah. um, interesting concept. And so at that point you came on board to help, I guess, with like Zwift Academy and things like that. And then Currently, you are the head of content and women's strategy at Zwift. And so this is a unique job title. Was yes. Did that position exist kind of in that time? Was this something you kind of helped create? Was it, you know, how did that come, come about? Definitely not. It did not exist. Um, and it was something that we just recognized that there was a real opportunity here to use our influence um, and use, uh, you know, uh, what we were learning about women's cycling to help grow the sport and elevate the sport. So through that first program, Zwift Academy, and then when we launched racing in Zwift, we did everything with complete parity, equal broadcast, equal distance, equal prize purse, because we have a virtual platform, so we can you know, and there was no reason not to, you know, so, you know, we built this sort of foundation of where we, you know, we wanted to do things, you know, uh, you know, just equally, you know, for men and women. And through this Rift Academy program, we also became really 
well acquainted with the challenges and barriers um, for women pro cyclists. So I remember when we first, with the, the woman that won that first pro contract and we kind of found out what the actual details of the contract were, that was rough. That, that's, it's, it's hard to make a living, you know, and it's hard to get by. So there was a lot of, of great momentum within Zwift to see what we could do to continue to, to build the sport and to create new opportunities on the platform. And so Zwift has, has been like a front runner then it sounds like in kind of the parody having, you know, equal opportunity across the board and whenever it's presented opportunities. And so why do you think it's still important that, you know, that, that you have there at Zwift a position for women's strategy specifically, you know, I think some people might look at it and say, well, why do you need a women's strategy? The strategy is to just create, to make it equal across the board. Yeah. And so why is that important? Yeah, I think that that it's important to to understand the the women's audience and to understand what they're looking for out of um, the platform, out of the sport, um, and that we've we've noticed that there are specific needs and there are specific interests um, that we can really cater to. And I think that I, I mean, if you've ever done like a women's only ride versus like a co-ed ride, there's a bit of a different dynamic, and that's just that's just the reality you know um and i think that like we've we've just seen uh that through programs like Zwift Academy that our women's community on the platform is just so tight and supportive and encouraging there's some like there's some different qualities than our just general or or male demographic on the platform it's very inclusive very welcoming um very supportive and just we saw an opportunity to just to to build off of that and what other programs and what are, you know, what, what else could we do to encourage to get more women on bikes, you know? Um, we've heard, especially over the pandemic, I can't tell you how many women have reached out to me and just said they found, they found cycling through Zwift and they started riding on Zwift and then all of a sudden they had like community, they had efficiency, they had safety. And all these things were very important to, to women riding bikes. Like this, the, the sport is intimidating. You know, I mean, you're, you know, on a, on a, you know, a metal contraption on roads with traffic. Uh, if you don't live in an area that has, you know, good bike lanes or safe roads, it's, it's, it can be very intimidating, very, a little bit scary. Uh, if you don't have an automatic community where you have, you know, a group to ride with learning like sort of the etiquette and the safety, you know, the rules of the road, it's uh, not the easiest sport to get into. So we found that through Zwift, you know, there was this incredible community that was willing to sort of reach out their hand and invite new women in, answer questions, um, organize, uh, you know, whether it be like racing, training, or just fun social group rides. It was a great place for women. So uh, beyond, you know, what we can do at the highest level of the sport, I love what we can do sort of for like grassroots and community uh, organizers. We are talking to you about a week after the conclusion of the Tour de France Femmes Aveg Zwift first edition of this race. And you mentioned the pandemic and how it got more women on bikes riding Zwift. But I think, you know, the pandemic also had uh, played a role in having this race happen. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's right. This is a great story. So the pandemic hits in 2020. And there was like a big question mark what was happening uh, with outdoor races that year, you know, including the Tour de France. Uh, riders, European pro riders often couldn't even ride outside. They had like, you know, restrictions on how far they could ride from their house because of the pandemic. 
So a lot of a lot of riders were coming to Zwift, and this kicked off a conversation with ASO, who is the organizers of the Tour de France, this historic institution that has you know run the Tour de France for years and years and years. And we started a conversation with them about, hey, let's do something in Zwift. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with the tour this year. We've got all these pros that use the platform. Let's, you know, let's build an exciting race in Zwift. Let's broadcast it. Like the whole world wants to see some bike racing right now. The racers want to race. Let's do something together. And uh, we built the Tour de France Virtual that happened in June of 2020. And because we're Zwift and we do everything with uh, parity on the platform, we said, okay, great, we're going to do this, but we're going to have, you know, the same, you know, opportunities for men and women, which, you know, the Tour de France does not have, did not have currently. So that was super exciting. And we hosted a six day sort of exhibition event where there was six stages. We broadcast it internationally. I think it was seen on 130 countries. Um, you know, the cycling media in general was excited about any kind of racing right now. So there was a huge interest. There was a huge viewership. I think it was like over 16 million people watched over the course of the six days, which is crazy, you know, for like virtual indoor racing. And the cool thing was, is that, you know, we did offer equal opportunity for men and women. So equal distances and broadcasts and, and everything. And each day we actually switched the broadcast. So the first day would start with the men and the second day would start with the women, you know, back and back to back racing. And the viewership was incredible, you know, for both. It wasn't, you didn't see like a dip with the women. And if anything, the women's racing was even better because uh, I think the shorter distances of Zwift. So in Zwift, you race like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour is like, you know, a big race. And women's racing outside is a little bit shorter than the men's. And I think that they are used to a more kind of aggressive style, dynamic style of racing. So they really, uh, they really, the, the platform really suited their style of racing and it made for some really exciting um, action. And uh, each day was really a hard fought uh, race. And we had, you know, some really fun winners and, I think it, that was the proof uh, that we needed to really start those conversations with ASO about, hey, it is time for a proper Tour de France femme stage race. You know, we we had had La Course for a couple, you know, maybe eight or nine years at that point. And it really, you know, needed to evolve and it needed, you know, the women deserved a proper stage race. And there was the audience for it, the appetite for it, the, the, the level of talent and the women's pro peloton was, uh, you know, it was extraordinary and it was just the right time. And, but the, what it needed was, a, a, you know, somebody to come on board and say that they were going to get behind it, you know, and we did. And we said, we'll sign on for four years. We're going to make this, you know, a sustainable race. We're going to, you know, build something that's going to work. With your backing, did that, sorry, Haley, did that help ASO? Like, cause I don't know. I kind of think of ASO as like potentially being an old boys club. Right. And so did that give did all of this give them confidence that like this would be a worthwhile investment and like Zwift coming on with the brand, with the dollars, I'm sure to like help propel that? Was that, you know, was that what it took for them yeah, or were they absolutely. still doubting it? Were the, you know, yeah. <laughs> it really did. It was, you know, I don't think it would have happened without us saying that, yeah, we're, no, we are, we believe in this. We're going to help you make it happen. Uh, we've already proven there's an audience for it. 
Um, you know, and, and that was what, you know, pushed them over the edge. I think, you know, of course, you know, the, the social pressure too, over the past few years and, and the momentum in women's sports, you know, I don't think they could have gotten away much longer without, you know, evolving that race and, 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 and offering a, a true Tour de France stage race for women. So what's going on behind the scenes during those two years? Was it just like, um, I mean, it feels like a lot of time, but it probably wasn't where were you, you know, where is it route planning, getting other sponsors on board, getting broadcasting rights, getting the teams yep. together, everything like that. Like this is actually going to happen and getting everyone like really excited about it. All of it. Yeah. And it was a real incredible collaborate collaborative uh effort between all the sponsors and aso and the media to you know to build a proper you know aso really takes control over the route planning and you know it's a big deal for tour de france uh for a stage to start or end in your town so aso works with the different towns to to sign on all the different uh a, a departure and arrival uh you know towns and cities so that was really exciting. And they do an incredible route presentation every October um, for the next year. So in October, they announced the route for the following Tour de France. It's a big deal and a giant convention center with a huge stage. And they invite all the pros and stuff. And uh, in 2021, we did that uh, for the women's stages, for the women's race as well. And that was the moment where it was like, this is real. This is really happening. And it's, you would not believe the pomp and circumstance around this race. It truly is the greatest race in the world. Um, racers all the time say that, you know, to win the Tour de France, to win stages at the Tour de France, is bigger than the Olympics. You know, for cycling, it is the biggest stage. And so 2022 has been an absolute banner year now for women's cycling with Zwift behind a lot of this. We had the Paris-Roubaix Femmes and the Tour de France Femmes. And so Paris-Roubaix was a one-day women's race back in April, I believe. And so I think you were there for that too. So oh, yeah. did you learn, I mean, one day compared to the stage racing of the Tour de France, it's like probably a whole different can of worms, but was, did you almost consider that like a dry run for Tour de France to be able to learn, get some takeaways? You know, did you put some things in your toolkit that you were taking yeah. to France with you later for the Tour de France. Yeah. So Paris-Roubaix Femovec Zwift, um, that was the second year of Paris-Roubaix for women. There was a Paris-Roubaix in 2021 because of the pandemic. It happened in October instead of the usual April. It always happens in April. It's huge. The biggest like, you know, one day race on the calendar. It's, it's so prestigious. It's been happening since I think like 1896 or something insane. And the first women's one was 2021 and it was awesome, but it, the prize purse was really abysmal. Um, you know, but it was like but 1500 the, euros for first yeah, or something. Like I think I read that. Goal. So uh, we had, we had already signed the deal for four years for Tour de France Femme of Exwift. And we saw an opportunity with Perry Bay and to really let's, you know, let's put another, you know, uh, uh, feather in our cap here. Let's, let's see if we can also, support the biggest one day, you know, race on the calendar. So, and we did look at that is it's, it's in April. It's a perfect time to start to stoke the flame for Tour de France Femme of X-Wift. And what an incredible, also iconic race with this iconic imagery and huge audiences, huge global audiences. And we can kind of start there and then build from that momentum to Tour de France Femme of X-Wift. And it really worked. Uh, Perubay was incredible. 
Um, it was uh, just off the charts in, in terms of viewership. There was a huge prize purse for the women. I think, I think the winner, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what the winner won, but I think the prize purse overall was like 50,000 euros now. So huge improvement and a great way to start our campaign. And our campaign actually you see on my cap um, is, is called new rules. And the number one rule is watch the thumb. And that means that like, you know, for the long-term sustainability of these races, they need an audience and they need, you know, that's, what's going to spark, spark investment and, and spark the growth of the sport is, is that audience, which we've seen in so many other sports, you know, you look at, 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 especially at like football and, um, tennis and things. As soon as you have that audience, you know, the, the potential is unlimited. Well, speaking of audience, I was definitely in the audience, the Tour de France Femmes, and so were many of my friends. I think the uh, the final stage was, it was a, I think it was Sunday morning here in the U.S., and yeah. so I had so many text messages, like um, group texts going of like my mom and like friends who are athletes and friends who, you know, don't necessarily ride bikes, but who were just like watching this and they're like, what is this? It's amazing. Yeah. So, so tell us about what it was like to be there. It was, you know, eight days. Uh. 250 euro prize purse, largest prize purse, uh, you know, for any world or women's race that's happening right now. And what was that like? I guess we should start with the beginning. What was the beginning, the first oh. day that, what was that like? I mean, I, I just got goosebumps again, which I like, I think I just had perpetual goosebumps for all eight stages, but, uh, walking into Paris and just seeing like, you know, the city shuts down for the, the final day of the men's races, which was the first day of the women's race. So what a great, way to uh, set the stage, literally. You know, you have a course just lined with fans. You have a backdrop of, you know, the Arc de Triomphe and uh, the Eiffel Tower. They started right at the Eiffel Tower and they finished on the Champs-Élysées. And the energy was just incredible. It was just so thrilling. Um, I think the biggest thing for that I heard from everyone was just the biggest question mark was like, were the fans going to come out like, okay, Paris is easy. Everybody's already out there for the men's race, but are the fans going to come out for the preceding stages? Are they going to line the course? Are they going to tune in? And that was the incredible thing that we saw is, is that, you know, the, the, the French, uh, the, the people just came out in, in hordes. I mean, it was just the, the start and finishes were mobbed. You know, there was huge crowds at all the key points uh, of the course, you know, through the French countryside. And that was just beautiful. It just showed that, you know, that people really do want this and great racing is great racing, you know, and it was just thrilling. Honestly, the audience numbers, um, I actually have it in front of me, that the highest, the peak was 5.1 million viewers in just France. All we have right now is French data, just France. That doesn't and even we, include my mom. I know. Yeah, and it was like, I know. It was a 45.6% audience share in France, you know, and there was an average of 2.225 million viewers per day in France uh, watching this on TV. That's incredible. That is incredible. And I think we all, you know, as women have probably wondered in these years, like, why isn't the women's race, you know, in, I certainly have been like, is there kind of a French animosity towards the women's racing, right? Like, are they, because it is, you know, like we all know how much it is for a stage winner to carry that stage win for their career and what it means and all of that for like French pride and things like that, you know? So I, I totally have been wondering, like, 
it's the French culture, not appreciate the women's racing, but it sounds like that's quite the opposite, especially yeah, what you were observing out there. That's awesome. Yep. Huge. I mean, I mean the press coverage and just the overall excitement that was so palpable every stage, it was absolutely overwhelming and, and just thrilling the rate each stage winner at some point, like welled up, like teared up or just, you know, lost it at some point because it was just absolutely, uh, just incredible. It was just, there was so much attention and just so much emotion behind it. Cause it, it, it felt like bigger than a race. This was a big moment in not cycling, but sports, you know, and this is a big moment in sports when, when, when a sport crosses that boundary, you know, uh, that it really points to a really bright future. It's exciting. And I'm sure you're processing all of the memories, but do you have a favorite moment that stands out to you now that you're oh. talking about it, you know, every, the folks back in Swift and things like that? Like what's the, yeah. the standout moment for you? Um, Mariana Voss winning on uh, stage two and I got to stand on the podium with her <laughs> and I saw her welling up. And this woman has won like 250 races in her career. She's considered the goat, you know, and to see how much, pulling on a yellow jersey, which she never has done in her career. She's won everything, everything. And to see how much that meant, it became so real to me, you know? And I just, it's, you know, it, I, 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 I tried to like manage my expectations, you know, it's just a bike race, you know, <laughs> like, like, let's just, you know, let's just go, let's just have some fun. Let's do this. But it really was, that big of a deal uh, throughout the week. And just to to see the media coverage and to see the post-race interviews with the winners, to hear how much it meant, um, to talk to a lot of racers and to, for them to tell me that like high school friends of theirs were like texting them being like, oh my God, Women's Tour to France. I'm definitely gonna, I'm watching, you know, um, that it just, because I know as a bike racer, uh, you know, nobody really cares about bike racing except other racers. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's hard to talk about like all the races, you know, that you do there, there's not much awareness around all these, you know, different races all around the world and stuff, but everybody knows the Tour de France. I mean, everybody knows that that is the biggest, you know, race in the world. So for, for these women to be able to, you know, just, you know, you know, to finally be invited to that world stage. You know, when you tell somebody you're a pro bike racer, they go, oh, like Tour de France. And like the women's answer was always, well, not quite, you know, we don't really have a Tour de France. So to be able to finally answer that, yes, <laughs> I raced the Tour de France. I mean, that's got to feel incredible for them. And I did love in Annemiek Van Vluten, who yellow jersey winner of this first edition Tour de France Femmes Aveg Zwift in her, like, I think in her, one of her final interviews, she did talk about how this was just the beginning. Yes. And she felt like it was so special to be part of this because it's just the beginning. And so this is a four-year partnership with yes. Zwift. And are you already making plans for 2023? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we want to evolve this race. Uh, we want to figure out how this race can also contribute to other opportunities, you know, and trickle down to get, you know, more women on bikes. So yeah, I think there, there'll be a lot of a lot of thinking around uh, how we can, you know, introduce this to new audiences, um, and and just how we can grow the actual race itself. It's currently eight stages. Um, I'd like to see over the course of our four year sponsorship that grow. The men's is is twenty one stages. I don't know if uh, anybody really thinks that it needs to be twenty one stages. 
um, from talking to the women's pro peloton. Uh, that's not necessarily the end goal, but I definitely think that creating a race that's going to be, you know, year after year, the premier race on the women's world tour and something that brings new people to the sport, new audiences to the sport and unlocks, you know, more investment and growth in the sport is that's, that's the goal. So Kate, I have enjoyed the occasional season of women's Zwift racing. Um, nice. I raced with the, I race like a girl team and we, you oh, know, did the, like weekly team and time trials on discord, like all that fun stuff. But I also admit, I haven't really explored Zwift too much. So I, you know, I think I've been working on the Tron bike for like ages. So what would you suggest to a woman who is out there, not on Zwift yet? How should she get started? What are some things she should do like right away to kind of learn the platform and get her feet wet in it? Yeah, I think trying a variety of content. So once you get onto Zwift, you know, you can find group workouts, social rides, training plans, trying a little mix, figuring out what your Zwift experience is going to be. There's wonderful communities that run regular rides. You can actually search in the app. So there's, um, so you have the Zwift app, and then you also have a companion app that you can load up on your phone to help you sort of navigate Zwift and to that that allows you to like chat in Zwift, to search events in Zwift. And uh, you can actually use that to filter women's only events. If you want to try a women's only event, I, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I think, the, you know, it's, it's really connecting with the community. So there's a great uh, Zwift ladies only uh, Facebook page that is a great like resource for Zwifters to answer questions and to kind of connect with other cyclists around the world. I see people meeting up all the time in real life too. Like people will be like, hey, I'm going to be in Austin next week. Who lives there? Who wants to ride? So there's a lot of different ways to connect. And I would say, you know, figure out what, what your best Zwift experience is going to be. There's a lot to offer on the platform, um, whether you want like a little bit more of a beginner, like social ride, or you want to try riding with a pace partner that's going to hold like 2.5 watts per kilogram. And, you know, you can, you can do this very, um, you know, very smooth sort of ride that's just great for training. Um, there's, yeah, there's just, there's just so many different things to do. And it's, it's really about finding your crew, uh, finding your weekly events and, and depending on what your goals are in cycling, you know, whether it be you're training for a charity ride or a race, or you're just new to the bike and you want to find some community, there's a little something for everybody. So I'd say definitely play around, have some fun, you know, navigate on in Zwift, you know, look for different uh, opportunities, you know, to ride with other people, to do different types of training or racing. We will definitely link to that Facebook page. I feel like that could be a great resource. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show and congratulations on an incredible event with that Tour de France, Femmes, Aveg Zwift. We are still you know, just celebrating that, but also looking forward to the future. So I hope you, I hope you get a little time to recover now that you're home. Thank you so much. Yeah. And everybody like, uh, follow, like go Zwift on Instagram and Latour Femme, I think it is L E T O U R F E M M E S, uh, on Instagram too. And you can start to follow the riders and like, let's, you know, let's, let's support, uh, women's pro cyclists and get ready for next year, which is going to be even better. Alyssa, hearing Kate's like bird's eye on the ground, I guess we don't have to be a bird. It could be a chipmunk on the ground view of, uh, what's a um, French animal. Um, like a... Wazelle. <laughs> That's like yeah. a bird. French bird, right? Yeah. Good, good. good job. 
But uh, yeah, that view of the Tour de France femmes, Avex Wift gave me goosebumps, made me so happy, made me want to go rewatch everything um, while I'm on the trainer, just because that was such a, it was so cool. It was so cool to watch from home. I bet it was even more incredible in person. I'm excited for how it grows over the next four years. And I'm just excited that there's people like Kate in, in the sports, in me, you know, the sports industry, like the women's sports and just like fighting for it and coming up with new and refreshing ideas. Yeah, no, I think that's, she's definitely an asset to the women's sports world right now. And Haley, we were talking a little bit about it because Zwift does a similar thing to the, the cycling Academy with a like Zwift tri Academy, I believe. And it's been happening several years now seasons, um, where basically they have amateurs who are going to Kona. Right. And so they kind of offer some, I think there's like training camps. I know Sarah true was out there, I think for a training camp. Um, I think probably some gear, I think in Kona, like they kind of help support the athletes there as well. I don't know all the details, but I do know it's quite a feeder program for some really good high level triathletes coming in too. Yeah. I think we talked to Ruth Astle a few uh, years ago when she was made, she was like top amateur in Kona. And then of course just got fifth in St. George. So quite, quite the progression, but I think she was on that Zwift Academy team and you do see them at, you know, winning a lot of the amateur races. And I do think I think in past years that has like opened up in October, maybe like after, after Hawaii. Um, and I think it is like anyone can do the Zwift Academy. And I, I think with the triathlon, there must, I'm assuming there's also like running on a treadmill. Cause I know I have not used Zwift on a treadmill, but I've seen other people do it. So, um, kind of cool what they're doing to just change things up in, in sports. And, uh, I, I like to see it super cool. And I think, uh, we can all those of us who are on Zwift can feel good that our dollars are going to something that matters, right? This is a company actually making real change with those dollars. And I know I am happy to keep that membership going alive when I, I know this stuff is happening in the background. Yeah, of course. Alyssa, um, I'm excited to hear next week about your adventures in Scotland. I hope everything goes very smooth and, um, good luck with those trousers. Thanks, Haley. Enjoy the poutine. And I can't wait to hear all about the Disneyland of Iron Man uh, next week. I'll talk to you later. Bye, Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.